Uh, yep. Welcome to the... Uh, I don't even fucking know anymore how many sessions it is. Um, uh, Brain of the Firm Reading Group. Um, this time we're going to be going over a summary, a sort of retrospective on part three. Because um, it's been kind of a monster section. Um, and then depending on how we're doing for time, we might start on section four. Because uh, there's a very short intro to section four. And... The first chapter of it is fairly slim, but we'll see how we go. Um, so, uh, I think I'll probably begin... I'll, I'll just read... Yeah, there's two pages here that's the summary of part three. Um, and then we can kind of do some fairly freeform discussion. Um, okay, summary of part three. As before, it would be a good idea to recapitulate on part two by reading the summary which began it before starting this analysis of the next piece of text. We're not going to fucking do that. Um, of course, the second summary incorporates advice to read the first summary. We're not doing that either. Um, the aim now is to exploit the model and our understanding of it to say as much as possible, as crisply as possible, about the regulation of that viable system, the enterprise. In a way, this is the start of the book, for this part contains the whole, just as we have learned to expect. But it seems likely that a reader starting here, without sharing in the insights of the model, or the creation of the language in which to think about it, would have no more than a vague idea of what it means. Chapter 11 begins by laying out the corporate model as developed, using as few lines as possible. As we look at figure 27, however, we should feel supported by the richness of the concepts which went into its gradual development. Just as drawings conveying optical illusions compel us to see first one meaning and then another in the picture, we may see here the living body with its unceasing flow of regulatory messages, suddenly replaced in the mind's eye by the firm in all its activity. Anyone used to, the, to other kinds of organization who has been thinking about the relevance of the model to them while reading should be able to switch in mental pictures of those other viable systems too. We go on to work out some rules for the operation of the system from the divisional point of view, noting the main danger points, and then ask how to quantify the messages which say what is going on. Next, in chapter 12, come similar notes on the operation of the whole system. One, two, three. All this should be by now be easy to understand, because the pieces of the cybernetic jigsaw are being slotted into place over a crib, the picture of the firm as we know it already which in so many ways actually works, although it is not usually described like this. But in chapters 13 and 14, the reading experience is likely to be very different. They deal with systems 4 and 5 respectively, and in both cases I am proposing very novel ways of interpreting the cybernetics of the model in terms of the firm. There is good reason for this. In most firms, system 4 is a fiasco, because, because it is not recognized for what it is, or what it should be doing, and because the capabilities of management science and the available computing technology are not understood. So I have invented this version of a company System 4 as guided by the model. The examples given are exceedingly simple, but they actually work. Simple or not, they have proved to enrich the understanding of those few who have actually used them. As far as System 5, Chapter 14, is concerned, where we finally reach the top of direction of the firm, I have no treatise to offer on the total role of general management. This book is firstly about the structure of organizations, and when one has identified the suite of rooms where the buck stops, there is no more to be said about that. But secondly, it is about the process of regulation. 
The most important change that has come over the process of top direction in recent years is the replacement of autocratic by collegiate authority. On this matter, there is much to say, and two new cybernetic models are developed. The first is a brain model of the college itself. This draws on neurocybernetics at a different level from neurophysiology, which is why this part of the total model is not in part two. The model is drawn at the level of cells, the neurons of the cortex, and it offers a quantified insight into the process of obtaining reliable decisions from unreliable elements. Let's face it, managers are not machines for pumping out correct answers, and neither in fact is the neuron. The second model comes from information theory, and offers a totally new approach to the monitoring of complex decisions, while they are being taken by a group such as the first model considers. This second model is almost impossible to understand at all clearly without a fully worked out example, so I've included one, which is as simple as I could make it. But the technique is meant to handle very much more complex problems indeed than this one, and so it has in practice. The final chapter, 15, is very much a final chapter. I mean that it tries to say some exceedingly important things which could be understood only by someone who had read the whole book to this point, and it therefore sounds a bit metaphysical. I would like to convince you that it is not really so. If, therefore, you get that far, please try to take the last hurdle before embarking on the case history of part four. Okay, um, so I remember this, this whole part taking us quite a while to get through. Um, this is some real chunky chapters in here. Um, yeah, I guess let's let's throw it open to the floor. Um, what do we what do we think about this whole thing? Boast, go for it. Uh, so I just wanted to I I know that we skipped over it this time, um, but I'm really intrigued by the, like his intention to have a structure that spans the entire book. Like you finish a ch a section, and you go back, and then you read a summary, and then there's this structure that kind of weaves together in between things. And I don't know, I, I, as someone that got a lot of joy out of reading some overly complicated books like House of Leaves and stuff that does weird narrative structures, I really enjoyed that. And it kind of got me thinking of, you know, maybe if it's not perfectly deployed here, um, what are some alternatives that actually enhance the learning experience when you're reading a book that could have those more abstracted structures going on that seems less tedious and more informative? Yeah, for sure. I kind of. Um... I almost wonder if like a different an alternative structure to the book would would actually interleave these these um three main sections where we have the the sort of neurophysiological underpinnings um and then wait no what what the fuck are the, the how does he split this up he kind of does the the basic cybernetics right the the basic like conceptual components then the the neurobiological analysis and then the the practical analysis um and it's a it's a lot of vegetables to eat before you get to the cake. Um, I kind of wonder if there's an alternative structure that would be able to um, split the book up more conceptually, but interleave all of those things. Maybe not. Maybe it really is the case that you have to get the get the nuts and bolts in place first. Um, Jake, go for it. Yeah, I was just like going back and reading the summary for part two uh, to try and like also figure that out a little bit. I, you know, I, I wasn't on these in this reading group for like the first part of the book. Like I joined about at the beginning of, or the middle of part two. But, um, so I can't say that, like, I can say I definitely got a lot from this last part, but also that was like the full, like I was, that was the only one where I was like, 
there for the full part of it. So, you know, that could, that could play a role into it. But I really felt like this book, it did kind of like unfold a little bit, you know, like you were saying that it's kind of like part one is the sort of setup of cybernetics. Part two is the sort of neurobiology, neurophysiology of it and like what, how that relates. And then part three is like actually like, okay, so what is the, what is the viable system as well? And uh, so in that sense, like part three was definitely like the most kind of, maybe not most rich, but like the most directly applicable, I guess, you know, when I like started reading this book and heard about this book, I was like, okay, so how do I do this? How do I, how do I implement this? What does this look like? And part three is really where that kind of comes to a head. So I like, I don't know what an alternative model of this book would look like besides just like, here's a shortened version. So you don't have to read the background, but then it's like, you kind of don't get the whole thing that he's trying to do, which is like lay out why this is necessary and why it like makes sense that he's laying it out this way. But, um, yeah, like I definitely feel like I got a lot more of understanding of like what it might actually look like to implement these in practice. And I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking like, is has what he like laid out like in part three like and i guess the parts one and two like is that enough for like of a i feel like the the, the earlier the parts one and two are like justifications for why he's thought of this this way and why it's like useful and why you should do it whereas like part three and i guess part four is like i'm trying to do it but i don't know i i mean still like the book. I still think it's still think it's really interesting. I still think it was like, this was the most uh, important to understand part, I think part three. So that that's probably why we spent so much time on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. That's where it all starts to come together. Um, let's see who's next. Brett. Yeah. So on that, I, I mean, I don't want to be a person who says, Oh, technology is the answer to everything, but I, I do wonder um, what this would look like as like hypertext or something like that, because there was a lot of discussion in the early nineties that, some texts are going to need to be more like hypertexts and we sort of forgot about all that. And I mean, Wikipedia is sort of that, but other than that, like we, <laughs> we just use websites now as like tools. And I sort of do wonder if we can imagine this as more of a hypertext document versus a book, or if you wrote it in, if you wrote it this year, if it would be more of a hypertext thing or maybe an app, I guess. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I think, so. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I could imagine a version of this that's more, more wiki like, um, or more, yeah, as you said, just hypertextual. Um, probably be quite a bit easier to cross-reference the concepts. Um, Kyle, do you have your hand up? Uh, yes. Cool. Do you want to go for it? Down. Uh, or was it down? Okay, it's down now. Uh, so, yeah, so um, the thing I thought about in terms of the structure is that, you know, part three, it seems to me like it's, very clearly written as a documentation of a model that is a work in progress. And I don't really get the sense from part three that like, this is the definitive authoritative statement on the VSM. So I think there's value to the first two parts in the sense that like beers, not really a hundred percent clear on the vsm and there's a lot of like points where you need to kind of infer where he's coming from because this isn't really a definitive statement 
um, you know, obviously that's whenever you have that sort of like, oh, this is a textbook and it's a definitive statement. That's kind of like a sleight of hand where like, you know, maybe this isn't actually as definitive as the textbook suggests. And Beers is being a bit more honest here. But I feel like without the background of the first two parts, it would be really hard to like infer what Beer is going for in the third because it's just, yeah, it's just, it's very like, oh, well, here's some ideas I've had, you know, like these are some things I'm working on. It's not like, oh, well, this is very clearly what the VSM is and it's all laid out and there it is. And that's the end of that. Uh, I didn't get that impression at all. And even in chapter 16, like he says that, you know, the the fifth, uh, the, the, the part on system five, he says like, oh, that that seemed a bit metaphysical in part three. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to Chile that like, I really got to develop it practically. Um, and so, you know, I think it's totally where the book was at the time of the first edition being published. And then, you know, maybe it became a little more, more definite in his mind once the fourth section was written. Yeah, I could certainly imagine that. I think like parts one and two are, I think, sort of better written, like they're, they're conceptually clearer, like there's clearer, clearer delineations for each of the chapters. Um, he's, I think, I think he's got those concepts, those nuts and bolts concepts, he's got them under him, like by that point, and he's, he's able to explain them clearly. Chapter yeah, part, part three feels more kind of like messy and more like, as you said, a work in progress. Um, I could also imagine like parts one and two being a kind of volume one, and then Part three kind of needs to be a full volume to like give give himself enough space to like actually write write about it. But he's he's like ah shit, I gotta fucking cram it into this book, you know. Um, but yeah, it it does feel like it's all in flight, and he's kind of working out how to explain this stuff. Um, he's he's not one for brevity though. Like I mean, I think maybe Heart of the Enterprise is perhaps a better working out. Like it's maybe. But it's, it's, it's also like a terrible book as well, like in its own sort of ways. Um, and it's another 700 pages. So it's not like it's not like he ever really gets to a point where he's able to briefly explain what's going on. Yeah, like I think parts one and two, it, he has the sort of background concepts and he's drawing upon a lot of different disciplines. So he's pretty clear about what his background concepts are. Uh, but the, the VSM is, yeah, it's, it's a work in progress and it's original work by him, uh, which is therefore quite a bit more, uh, schematic and like, I don't know, more kind of posing suggestions for the way things might work, uh, than it is providing like a how to, uh, based on, you know, decades and decades of successful usage. Uh, I kind of wonder if um, it'd be really interesting to, like, closely read the later books by, like, Raul Espeo and, and such, because, like, he would have, like, digested the VSM properly and then, you know, probably written up maybe a, a more clear explanation of, um, of the model. Um... But anyway, uh, let's see who's got their hand up. Steve. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I echo the idea that clearly a companion to the book, you know, I like his, I like the prose. I, he's, he's a fun writer to read. Um, but clearly a lot of this sort of craft referencing could be, uh, could benefit from a more wiki like online companion. Um, but the real point is that like, you know, this has come up before the lack of sort of grounding and examples throughout it. Um, I think is detrimental and not only just for each individual point on its own, but like the feeling I'm left with is kind of, it's all very much all or nothing with this. And, you know, you're led piece by piece and step by step along this without that grounding. And like, you know, where we ended up with our conceptual understanding of this, like, is that right? Or is that often left field? Because there's no way that's constantly pulling you back to any sort of real example, like, uh, we don't really know. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, is it possible? I don't know. But like, are there pieces of it that could be more grounded in either case studies or examples or something like that, that could have constantly just brought us back into reality? Um, at least for, you know, if this is his guide to management, uh, the field of management than at least in the management field. Although obviously we all think about this in much broader context than that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that that could help. And I think it also would be more productive in the sense that like, you know, we joke about when he presents this to his management, you know, as he consults for management, like what must people think of this? <laughs> right. And if there's nothing that like, Oh, you know, well, I might not, want to adopt the entire BSM in my, to re-architect my business. I might want to, you know, consider division one, like how to change division one to function more dynamically and, and robustly. But it's not really clear how to do that or, you know, if that's really possible in the presentation of, um, as such. So, yeah, that, that's my thinking. I mean, just ground it. You know, this is not a full thought exercise. This is meant to be a guide for people, for businesses to, to use. So, you know, you gotta fill in the gap there between, Oh, just use your imagination and be creative because the people aren't creative and they don't have imaginations. The further you go up in management chains, I mean, it's inversely proportional. We know that. So, um, yeah, that, that's my thinking, but also, you know, a very, interactive online companion, you know, based on sort of like what Kyle did, you know, a couple months ago with that um, online guide was sort of a very first step of like how you could imagine this to be a much more interactive online thing um, with animations and movies, etc. Mm -hmm. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like particularly, um, It'd be really nice to see um, people take like do case studies of like non-business sort of organizations. Like I guess your your sort of uh, lefty organizing sort of efforts, um, but to kind of filter it back through that with those kind of lenses. Because um, I don't I don't feel that I'm in a particularly good position to kind of make all those cross connections. Uh, but there's maybe someone out there who could do it, um, and it'd be. It'd be nice to have like a, a sort of explainer for the for the model that also for every concept lists out like a couple of different contexts in which you would think of this as like oh well an example of this from a community kitchen is x y and z or an example of this from you know a labor union is x y and z um, and so on. Uh, okay, we had a flurry of hands there, and not sure in which order we're going, but uh, let's go with Jake. 
right. I think Brett was like, Brett was before me, but I'll go. Um, just, yeah, I mean, like, I guess in thinking about that, you know, the one that really, like, has been most difficult for me to, like, kind of map onto, you know, like, my lefty organization has been, like, the System 4, you know, because I, I think so often... I mean, he, he even says this right in like the, I think in the intro to, or like the, yeah, intro to system three or to the part three of like system four is one of the most like difficult to like pin down. And like, so often it's, it's response roles are kind of like scattered um, or not considered to be part of this part of like what he considers system four. And it's just like that idea of like, so it's difficult to sort of think of, well, first of all, like the metrics, like what those metrics look like when you're not dealing with something as simple as like we're spending X on, you know, this, this, and this, and we've taken Y, so therefore these things, um, you know, that's like for sure one of them, one of the things that's been most like difficult for me, but then also like the idea of like not siloing off, but like trying to put that function together with like sort of an outward facing thing, because I think most people want to think of themselves as like aware of the sort of ecosystem that they like organize within. Uh, and like, you know, it kind of runs up against that like idea of like, not, not quite the same level of like capitalist, like managerial CEOs, like wanting to control their fiefdom, but just like people wanting to like say like, Oh yeah, I know the people involved in this kind of thing, or I know the like, groups doing this and so therefore like don't worry about dealing with them or don't worry about trying to connect with them you know which is like ostensibly you want to like combine this all into a system for but yeah i don't know i guess this maybe it's like a little bit of a tender from what we're talking about but that's just been the thing that i've been most and and it's and it's so lacking right the idea of like of trying to like model what you're doing and then like predict forward it really doesn't happen within like leftist organizing i would say um except for like people that say like well we have this kind of goal and like have we reached it yet no let's keep doing what we're doing you know but there's not like a like well if we did this thing then this would happen let's try doing this thing you know i just don't see that happening as much but it's, it seems very important and i'd like to figure out what it would look like in practice yeah definitely right like um the it, it, it's it yeah I think I think you really got on something very important there that like for a lot of organizers or activists whatever they they do have a sort of like future facing vision thing but it's it's way off in the fucking distance it's this like kind of the thing where there's there's no there's no like kind of actionable like plan to get there it's a kind of oil the ocean sort of dream um, and. I think what what sort of folks in like startup stuff have kind of discovered is that it can be quite difficult to like cook up metrics for like what you're trying to achieve, but the process of doing that is extremely valuable because you're then forced to confront these kinds of things of like what what are we actually trying to do, um, and is there any way it could be kind of measured even even in very fuzzy terms? Is there any kind of way we could measure it and make actionable kind of progress on that? And if the answer turns out to be no on a lot of those, it's an indication you're probably in trouble 
that from from the get go that there's actually nothing actionable there. Um, whereas I think we went over this in the sort of session that we where we talked about a lot of this, but like for the the sort of tenant organizing stuff, right? You'd have to just decide like, is are we trying to increase membership in this organization, or are we trying to like decrease the number of evictions down towards zero or something? And I feel like that process of talking over those points and picking out a couple of things that they don't have to be like iron metrics that everyone is ultimately held to. But the notion of going through this and like having it actually come out in people's minds would mean that hopefully the activity of the organization would not just be the kind of uh, Brownian motion, like amoeba sort of activity that is so common. Uh, and it might be a bit more directed, but it's, it is tricky. And especially because like, we're not dealing with just like, yards of linen and pounds of steel like it's these these are going to be more nebulous because they are squishy human systems and not production units but you know, it's probably worth trying to pin down some sort of metric for success or what does success look like even that basic question of what at what point would we call the job done or what what would satisfy us like if we if we finish the year in this state how would we feel or you know what would what would what would we count as success for the year and so on? Yeah, um, let's see. Brett, how's it going? This may exist. Uh, Jeremy can probably correct me, um, but I wonder if this would have helped. I know we're going to get to them too, but I wonder if this would have helped to have a companion guide that showed case studies before you actually read or alongside reading the text because it was a bit it's it's sort of abstract. If you if you had that, you could continue to refer back. Versus like leaving at them at the end. I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking out loud here. Yeah, there's John Walker's VSM guide, which is a, a decent read, um, if a bit scattered. Um, I think his he he looked at a lot of different co-ops um, of various sizes and mapped onto the model. Um, that's definitely worth a worth a look through. Uh, Jeremy. So I feel like we're we're our project is that of archaeologists where we've found a tool and we want to bring that tool 50 years into the future. And the tool isn't really clear what the people of 50 years ago did with it. And we get a lot of hints about it. And obviously the guy who wrote the tool is super smart, but I don't think the tool is really well explained anywhere and including any of Beer's books. But he's a fascinating dude, and the tool obviously does interesting things, and that really the project is to pull that tool 50 years into the future, engineer it for the present, and whatever we create is going to be ours, not his. It can't possibly be his. There's no way to preserve Stafford beer and make his tools practicable. Um, and what, when you go to Metaforum, I love Metaforum and I'm really not saying this to disparage the people at Metaforum, but you talk to the people at Metaforum and you have the old guard people who are just trying to rekindle Stafford's flame and me. And then you have people like on the, more practical end, like Raul Espejo, who are really doing good stuff, but they're doing Raul Espejo stuff, not Stafford Beer stuff. And then you have a younger generation of people who are influenced by Stafford, and then they're doing all kinds of different things. But I don't get the sense that any of them 
are taking the tool into the present and doing stuff with it. I think there's an open slot to take the ideas from Brain of the Firm and all of Stafford's books and make a present existing tool that does stuff, and we don't know what that's going to be. And I, I'm crazy enough to want to do this, but I don't know what this will end up looking like. Um, and there's a lot of open questions, and I think a lot of them depend on what we do with the tool. And I think really, really going through Brain of the Firm on a highly, highly granular level can give us a lot of hints on what to do with our tool we make. But I don't think it's possible to read Stafford Beer and do what Stafford did. I think the world has really changed in 50 years, and I don't think he left enough information that you could replicate what he did. Yeah, totally right. Um, it, it does feel like we're in very uncharted territory, and even even the, the map that exists isn't like it's 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 a very good map, but it's not of it's not as much help as we'd like it to be. Because I think we would we would really love this to be a silver bullet where it's like oh we should, holy shit all you got to do is read these three hundred pages and you're fucking golden right? Um, oh, it really is. It really isn't like that. And mm-hmm. like even stuff like in chapter seventeen where he gets really into we were going to come up with this predictive system, and then a paper came out a few months earlier, and it was about Bayesian analysis. Now, in 2020, Bayesian analysis looks nothing like it did in 1970. It's gone so far. I mean, CyberSyn was built on one IBM 360 that had to be abandoned and then thrown onto a Burroughs machine. I mean, a digital watch from the 80s was probably as powerful as the Burroughs machine. I mean, they talk about in Chapter 17 about how they had to cut significant digits down to two because they didn't have any room. I mean, the Burroughs machine had a hard drive that was like a megabyte, you know? So, like, and it was running pretty much 70% of the Chilean economy. So, you know... They were dealing with a reality that was a 70s reality about computing. We have computer processing now that's utterly unfathomable to any of this. We also have a culture where, yes, startups exist. There weren't, there weren't tech startups in the 70s like we have today. There also are open source projects that we have today that or open source wasn't a concept back then. So, like... For me, my passion is to create a Stafford-shaped present thing that is going to look really, really different. And I don't even, like, no one's going to hand us the Chilean economy to play with, you know? So I don't know what tools we do. I don't know what we use this for. I mean, but... I think the project of coming up with tools for the year 2020 or 2021 
that use Stafford's ideas is valuable enough that I want to do that. But so I think the the I think John Walker, I know John, I'm very fond of John, and I really like John's VSM guy. But it you I don't know that you can build stuff just using John's John and Angela's guide. Um I think it's the best thing out there, but it's not enough. I think we're the ones to build the right tools. You know, I think like if we do our jobs, no one has to read Brain of the Firm, except for entertainment, you know? Um, you know, it's like what's you know, what demo you know, what's social democratic labor parties were like after Marx and Engels were dead. Where you could cling to Marx and Engels, but it wasn't tackling the shit that was happening to them a generation after they died. You know? Um, and it's even further in the future at this point, you know? So we need to come up with the tools that reflect present reality that are inspired by all of this stuff. But it's eventually, at some point, it's going to stop being the Stafford Beer Project and it's going to be the Us Project. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Cool. Let's see. Who else have we got? Um, Boast. How's it going? It's going. We might need to... Nope, everyone's muted. Cool. Um, so I'm really liking this discussion because I feel like Stafford kind of set this up for us where he vacillates between pre uh, prescriptive and descriptive between whether or not the VSM is a map of how nature works or whether it's a methodology that can be applied. Um, and I think that like there's there's no real answer to... Uh, sorry if I'm not good with names, but the last person speaking... Uh, there's not really an answer because by the time that it becomes something that we can use, it's it's been in use. So we'll have to retire and be like, okay, well, now we're going to stop using it. We need to start describing it. Uh, it's kind of like the project's only finished once the documentation's written. Um, so I think that we need to kind of, I think that that would be an, ex uh, an interesting kind of contradiction to explore a little bit more to see like, okay, how can we, because we're going to need to convince people of this, right? And it's, like I said, with uh, how helpful Kyle's uh, rundown has been for me in the DSA, it's really nice being able to point like, hey, look, the world already works like this. Like if you wanted to run a soup kitchen, you're going to end up producing a VSM. So since you're going to do that, let's already keep that in mind and plan accordingly. But that's there's I do think that there is a disconnect there. And I think that that's where a lot of the uh, the discomfort comes from, because there's this this concern about the loss of fidelity between the I can observe the VSM in the, in the in the soup kitchen, but can I actually improve the VSM in the soup kitchen? And that's where I think that it, it would take a little bit more um, intellectual rigor to to dig out that contradiction and explore what's hiding in there. Mm -hmm. the The example I keep coming back to for that sort of stuff is like bridge building. That like pre physics and pre maths bridge building was possible. People did it all the fucking time. It's just half the time it didn't work. Um, or like bridge builders had evolved a set of techniques that they they were pretty sure would work, but they couldn't quite explain why, which meant that they couldn't experiment on paper before building something. You just had to kind of do it on the fly while you were building, and there was always a huge risk to that. It's like ah shit, we can't really deviate too far from the received wisdom. Um, but what what physics and math do, and then you know engineering and so on is they're both proscriptive and descriptive, right? That they, they describe reality like you'll be bound by gravity whether you're aware of it or not. 
it will happen to you. Like, um, you'll fall off that fucking bridge, <laughs> whether you want to or not. But it can also be proscriptive, is that once you understand physics, you should build bridges this way. Um, so I think that's probably where we need to go there. That there is, there is, it is description of dynamics and things that, that will happen regardless of whether you're aware of them. You will be bound by these, these physical laws, even if you don't know they exist. But once you do know they exist, you can then decide, given that I know this, what should I do now? So that like, it would be, so like, certain designs for, hypothetical designs for bridges become completely um, unacceptable because you know ahead of time that it will fall down. And what that should mean for us is that certain organizational designs and certain organizational dynamics should similarly be rejected out of hand up front because we know they won't work. Um, and similarly, like, you know, it, the engineering suggests a direction for, like, what kind of, what kind of load-bearing capabilities do you need given a certain weight and so on. So there's, there's certainly proscriptive angles to description as well. That once, once, that's maybe the feedback loop, right? That once you understand the world better, you can act on the world better. And in acting on it better, you can understand it better and so on. Um, oh, all the tiles have shifted and I have no, no fucking idea which order people were in. Let's say it was Steve. Um, yeah, the comment I wanted to make just kind of turns a little bit of what we've been saying on, on its head, right? So, like, one of the things that Abir emphasized early on is, like, how computers, as they had begun being adopted in industry, were not really being used the appropriate way, right? Right. And his his reasoning was that, well, it's just being there to do what humans can do, except maybe slightly faster, you know, but it doesn't reimagining the role of computation or um, uh, in, in a larger context um, that where it can do different sorts of things and serve different functions. And, you know, I mean, that was 50 years ago. And I kind of feel like, you know, to what extent have we adopted a lot of what he was thinking or trying to get people to do in the meantime? I mean, the most basic example, you know, approximately would be the adaptation of things like deep learning, which are, you know, glorified McCullough-Pitts networks that um, are much closer in line with what these people were thinking of in terms of the black box systems where we might not really know what's going on in, in between, but it serves a function. We can train them up. They can do what they need to do. Um, and, you know, clearly that stuff's been deployed in all sorts of at least specific cases and examples, um, you know, thousands of times at this point, if not more. So, you know, I often wonder, like, how much have we have uh, sort of implicitly adopted of what he was trying to do through technology already? I mean, clearly not everybody's building viable VSM type systems in their startups. But, you know, some of the technology and some of the ideas have been adopted, whether they knew it or not, I think. Um, and what I think is just sort of missing is like, yeah, the sort of bigger picture, how is the whole thing, how is the organization, how is the structure of this all working together in, in a more viable way that that actually does what you want it to do the best way you can. But um, yeah, I don't know, that, that, that's sort of my comment. Like, we did have, well, the other side of it too, of course, and like coming from sort of NASA world, I think about this too, right? The idea that, well, the computational power they had for the VSM or for CyberSyn was 
like a watch. Well, sure. Yeah. And like, what was the computation they had on the space, uh, on like the Apollo rockets? Yet we got to the moon and back. And in many ways, like, I feel like the abundance of computation that we have is detrimental. You know, since, we, since the computer age, we haven't really done that. <laughs> we haven't gone to the moon or back. We haven't gone further. It hasn't helped. I mean, there's obviously lots of other things going on, but like, it's not entirely clear that like, that's the sort of limiting or necessary factor either. So there, there is this tension of, yeah, I mean, we have technology now. It's much more advanced. You know, maybe that will help in certain ways, but at the same time, the simplicity and directness and the ability to understand how this all fits together was more tractable back then so that you could conceivably put together a network that could run the Chilean economy or get to the moon and back in a way that now it's so distributed and so complex that nobody really understands what's going on or can really direct it in any useful way. Um, and I actually think that's like one of the reasons why it's hard for us to get back to the moon. Like we now will implicitly think we have to use all this technology to do it, but that just makes things harder and less reliable and complicated. And, you know, there is no Werner von Braun there that can like understand how it all comes together because no one person can do that. It's not viable anymore. Yeah, definitely. They would have to do it in JavaScript now, which would fucking doom the mission from the start. Um, I'm not joking about that. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right that like the, the hyper complex nonsense that we have to deal with today is like, we have a, a sort of an abundance of like sharp tools laying around, but they're all fucking terrible. Um, and they're very hard to wield and very hard to actually get projects going. Maybe it's this abundance of things isn't actually all that good. Um, let's see, uh, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, when you look in, like, chapter 16, when Beer has his exchange with Allende, you know, Allende sort of asks him, like, well, if this is such a good idea, why haven't all these rich countries with much better computers already done it? And he's like, well, they didn't understand management cybernetics. So, you know... It's not the, 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 the amount of computing capacity we have is certainly not irrelevant. But at the same time, what Beer is trying to argue for is an understanding of management cybernetics that would kind of enhance any compute, any com computational solution that you want to develop and deploy. Right. Like it's. That's not the main thing about the book, uh, is, is like, you know, whether you're running on a, uh, digital, on a Casio watch or a, you know, uh, supercomputer of today. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an understanding of management cybernetics. So, you know, we, like, it's certainly sure we need to revise our understanding of these things for today, because like, as you've been saying, everyone, like the network society that we live in today is very, very different. And that has lots of different implications, but it's also kind of not surprising to me that like, um, this has been left by the wayside in the same way that it had been in beer's time. Like there, you know, there still had already been like a lot of computing history up to the point of Cybersyn being developed. And 
the com combination of these two approaches wasn't really explored until they tried it. Indeed. Um, yeah, I think I'm in agreement on that, that like the, the point is the techniques, the, the general techniques and not so much the computational stuff. Um, but you know, the computational stuff is interesting and it, um, they're, 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 the computational stuff is tools you can use once you understand the techniques in general. Um, but you can you can have the techniques in general and enact them in conversation uh, or even just on paper or on a whiteboard and that's that's already most of the value then formalizing it in an excel spreadsheet is kind of uh, a little bit of a nice add-on uh, let's see let's see what Jake has to say all right yeah uh, yeah it was kind of like piece together all my thoughts last one said I I think definitely like going back to what Jeremy said, like, yeah, it's not going to be, whatever we make is not going to be like beer again. You know, I think, and I, I, I think people place a lot of emphasis on like, Oh, what like tendency are you into? What, what, you know, what, like what, what uh, thought leaders does this organization follow or what, you know, do you ascribe to which ones do you denounce or whatever? It's like, I think so much of that is just so like, so perf not performative so much as like, you know, it's you're holding on to these like idols so that you don't have to like think too clearly about the true complexity of the world, which I think is, you know, you can't really ever account for it with any one person's thoughts or really maybe anyone's, you know, the totality of anyone's thoughts on anything. There's just so much more. But um, so I think, you know, and I think like attributing to like particular like theorists or whatever, like what your project, what it looks like in, in the real world is a little like, I'd much rather have something and like figure something out and like do it and put it into practice. Then, then worry about like, okay, well, what do we call this? What is this? Who's inspired this? You know? Cause like ultimately like, right. What you do or who you're reading when you do the thing isn't as important as like actually being able to do the thing. Like if you're, if you make, a VSM influenced organization and it, you know, of course it's never going to like correspond directly to what he wrote because especially a lot of what he wrote was like, it was for businesses. Like it was for capitalist firms, you know, like that's what he was hired for. Um, or it was for the Chilean economy, which is like no left project is on that scale right now. Um, and who knows when it'll get there, but, uh, you know, so I, I think like, I think what, what it'll look like, it has to be, uh, it has to be done first before it can't be like drawn out in like, here is the whiteboard sketch of it, or here is the book that I've written on the thing that we're going to do. None of it matters until you actually do it and see if it works. You know, like you could say, oh yeah, we're going to do This is what our system two is going to look like. And then, you know, you do it and no one, no one uses the system two you made. And instead some other thing comes up and you have to be able to account for that. Which is, I think, something that I, I'm, I've gotten a lot from beer uh, about, which is just like, you know, allowing for these informal connections and formalizing them in some way, but not necessarily formalizing them before they start being created organically. Like, like I think when we talked about the, chap the chapter on systems one and two, you know, we kind of got caught up for a while on the like, what is the me what do those measurements look like? What is that the the things that they're sending to system two to send to system three? Like, you know, and I think. Um, and maybe, you know, reading decision and control, maybe he gets into it more in there. Um, but like, I really, I, I don't think we can say it ahead of time necessarily. And so I think 
I think Jeremy's right, and people have said this is right, that like, what we need to do now is to, to make the thing and to synthesize this into something that we can use in the real world. I think, you know, as someone, one of my comrades said this, I think that the key, the key thing to so much of organizing is just like confidence to try something out, even if it's going to fail. And, uh, you know, it's so much more important than like getting the right theoretical line down. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, that's why I, I like, I've been trying to implement these as I've been reading this book without maybe necessarily the full understanding of the book and just sort of refining it as I'm going, you know, it's like, it's a dialectical process, if you will, you know, it's, it's an ever changing thing. And I think, um, you know, whatever project comes out of this or is influenced by this, I think we'll need to incorporate that in order to like actually have a chance of implementing this kind of VSM in, in the way that we need, you know? Yeah, certainly. Um, let's see who's next. Uh, Rudy. So, well, I think the conversation moved a bit past that, but when we were talking before about how the economy, how basically system four was built for a Chilean economy, but someone brought this up some time ago that our system four is Wall Street in a way, which is based on a completely simplified and wrong code, but it is there, it exists. And there's always a, there's always a risk that you can run it on capitalism because capitalism is so stupid and just cares about money. And stuff like, you know, every time Anne Hathaway puts out a movie, Berkshire Hathaway stocks go up or this kind of stuff because of the machine learning algorithms. But on the other hand, you know, there is like, it could be possible. I mean, if you spend if millions of people are spending, sorry, thousands of people are spending millions of dollars to get better and better machines to gain Wall Street. Like there could be a pressure for a similar thing in the planned economy. But the technology is there. And I think to Stafford Beer's point of why others haven't done it, was because there's a gigantic path dependence. Like only sometimes when you scrape out everything and you try to build society up from up new is when you can change things. Because if you are like, say, Francois Mitterrand coming in France, 1970s, 80s, and you're beholden to the rules of the game, there's so little you can do, or like Syriza, that you end up flunking. Yeah, yeah, that's... that's um. The, the stuff about sort of Wall Street, or I guess the existing sort of infrastructure of capitalism, is is interesting, right? That like, um, even if even if it doesn't like add up to a, like a viable system in the sense in the sense that we we kind of know it's doomed anyway. Um, even just like paying attention to the basic cybernetics of it would be important. That like, if all of that infrastructure acts as a gigantic homeostat, which forbids like Bernie or fucking anyone from actually changing. It's like a, it's like an enormous gyroscope. If you nudge it, it just goes right back to vertical. Um, and they've put a lot of work into creating this thing to act as a just gargantuan nested set of locks that stabilize the, the system. In, it stabilizes in a deranged trajectory, but it, it does stabilize there. Like it, it is, it's a trajectory that leads directly to oblivion. But it is stabilizing itself on the trajectory. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like the, the only way to challenge this thing is to do something outside of it and figure out its weaknesses and topple it over. Um, cause when, when you're bound to the rules of that game, the rules are extremely strong. Um, and so there's, there's really no hope for that kind of like 
electoralism or whatever. Or maybe the point here is to go through that analysis of like, okay, just, just think of homeostats in general as like this basic cybernetic device. What kinds of those things exist in the capitalist system? What kinds of stability points does it control for? What kinds of things does it consider to be invariant? And then, you know, then measure that against the possibility of like, oh, well, if we scrape through this minor electoral victory, will that actually challenge the homeostat? Probably not. Or maybe it will. Maybe the analysis actually points in a different direction than I think it would. But it would be important to do that and think about it in those terms. Um, I think that would be extremely useful to do. Um, let's see who's next. Matt. I, 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 yeah, my, uh, yeah, uh, uh, echo, um, uh, 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 stuff before. Yeah, the, the, the point is definitely not, you know, to just, uh, uh, um, yeah, as, as much as beer resembles a literal wizard, like, like these aren't just wizard books that, like, you know, like we learned the spell and then, and then we've got it. I mean, you know, like, yeah, and as, as someone mentioned, you know, the, the things changed as the books were being written. And, uh, um, yeah, I would say like the bleeding edge of this, or at least the only one who's, uh, uh, writing like in a way that's like public and, and free would be, um, uh, I've posted a couple of times that, that, um, uh, that, that, that blogger Harish, who, uh, um, you know, talks about a bunch of like, uh, management cybernetics and like second order cybernetics and stuff and like, you know, very, very, very cool stuff. And like, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to do a synthesis, you know, including stuff like, you know, Toyota management practices that, you know, have been in dialogue with, 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 with this kind of thing. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, uh, one, you know one, one, one thing that keeps coming up for 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 me of like to 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 apply this stuff to is um um it seems like on a practical level actually like a really good way to sort of integrate um uh, uh telemetry for like cloud providers um uh, uh because like uh, the, the, a lot of the problems he describes like you know I have not been uh part of like a a massive multinational firm before um uh, with like th these very limited channels for you know um uh, uh these uh, uh kind of autonomous um uh uh you know like little like branches and sub branches and stuff but I mean like I've looked at like cloud infrastructure before where like you know like that was the communication and uh just how hard it is to like make sure it's actually doing what you want it to do and not you know like having like some uh, uh uh, random perturbation, you know, uh, uh, you know, run up your bill massively. Like, I don't know, I feel like uh, in terms of just like making sure, yeah, that uh, it's operating within certain parameters and uh, just overall doing what you want to, I feel like applying the VSM to that might be, I don't know, a consulting business or something <laughs> as just as just like an experiment. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that could uh, that could definitely work, right? If you could uh, refine the concepts by um, by by sort of having these these things uh stabilize those kinds of deployments, right? And they would have the benefit of being basically entirely virtual, right? There, now virtual infrastructure, you don't have to move buildings around to, to make that happen. Um, the, 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 the notion of, um, I don't know, it was something you said about the, the, the tree structure of things um, left me kind of thinking that, like, this maybe rhymes with the other stuff we've been talking about, about like the contemporary, like network society stuff being quite different from uh, the context in which Beer was writing, but like I do get the feeling throughout a lot of Brain of the Firm that like there's a um, a fairly strong assumption of a like very Fordist sort of way of like of organizing labor that like there is this kind of like fairly structured hierarchy and uh, kind of direct relations uh, and kind of direct and unambiguous relations through the in the control structure, whereas things seem a bit more 
distributed and weird these days, particularly because like people work multiple jobs and have various kind of precarious overlapping um, sort of situations. And uh, you know, in even in, even in firms, you can have these kind of like more blob-like kind of structures where it's not entirely clear that you can resolve it into a tree very cleanly. Um, so that's worth bearing in mind. I think there's uh, beer does kind of smuggle in some of that mid-century stable labor compromise sort of stuff um, and that like fairly well regimented uh, society, um, which isn't here anymore. <laughs> We're much uh, much more uh, screwy and uh, and and weirdly tangled. Um, but yeah, who have we got? Uh, Lyle, let's go. Hi. Uh... Yeah, I'm going to try to reflect on a lot of things that multiple people have said. I guess I'll start with talking about, I keep coming back to People's Republic of Walmart and people like Stafford Beer and like coming from an academic computer science background. And that's my work right now. I'm a PhD student. Um, I've always like, I've noticed that like the most exciting theory, the most exciting thought comes out of people actually doing the thing um, and reflecting on it and continuously doing the thing and reflecting on it. I mean, that's how Stafford Beer came up with like this, all this VSM stuff. Like he wasn't an academic, like <laughs> uh, he, he was a consultant. He, he was all continually doing stuff and people's Republic of Walmart, you know, like we have kind of, we have like won the uh, socialist calculation debate, but that was done by Walmart and Amazon who are actually doing the, humongous coordinated control of like this national economy sized operation. Um, and, uh, like that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing in my, uh, work right now is like all this kind of navel gazing in the theory land is, is not, it's, it's not really like fulfilling or really useful unless, uh, you focus on a problem and do the thing <laughs> like, um, and I think there's a lot of, I mean, I've been peering through, uh, a lot of the operations research, uh, research, and I think that's the place to mine, um, whatever Amazon and Walmart are doing. Um, uh, what, what was I getting at? But yeah, I think, I think like Matt said, a consulting business where we, where we actually do the thing, um, and try out different things might might be the best way forward. Or, I mean, even just doing it in DSA, of course. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think putting putting the rubber on the road with DSA stuff and the, the, the organizing and stuff seems to be a really, really fruitful way forward uh, for, like, testing the stuff. I guess it's the stuff Jake's been on about, so, like, really, really testing the stuff in practice and, and going for it, and then we'll learn from that you know um yeah cool uh, oh i mm -hmm. i just remembered my last point sure. um so in in operations research like there's uh systems dynamics i mean systems dynamics is not part of operations research but like the two combined has actually been uh garnering some really interesting results and kind of maybe that's the way forward in kind of determining these laws of how uh, organizations function mm -hmm. um Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, like, 
we should we should definitely be looking to where the contemporary literature is on all this sort of stuff. And I guess yeah, if you've got any good leads on that, you can dump them into the the Discord channels as well. Um, we'll have a little rifle through that. But yeah, I mean it's it is important to remember that like this beer stuff is from the seventies, and there is contemporary stuff going on now. Um, and I guess even like yeah, at the the Walmart level, like it's I don't know I I sort of oh, I, I sometimes get struck by this weird impression that it's like it's a very strange position to be in, like advocating to socialists for them to like catch up to the lessons that the capitalists have learned from them you know like it should be easier to convince socialists of this stuff given that the capitalists have already proven all the shit correct you know like it, it's such a fucking strange position to be in um at the moment where you have to like do a hard pitch on a lot of these ideas to people who should already be sold on it um and even just catching up to where the enemy is on on this stuff um that's a big task, you know, getting getting our kind of group consciousness caught up to even today is a big project. And that's, you know, by the time we do that, the fucking enemy will have moved on to the next thing. Um, so we've got, a, we've got a hell of a task ahead of us. Uh, let's see, Boast, how's it going? Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Walmart. Uh, because I think that I think that uh, I wanted to like echo Lyle's point that uh, they did kind of like win the socialist calculation debate, but the way that they did that was by accruing like massive amounts of institutional knowledge and information, and from that information they can kind of start uh, assessing like relationships, which is usually the customer's relationship with their product. Uh, but an interesting obstacle that I've been kind of like thinking over, especially in the shadow of uh, starting to read um, the. Uh, the Walmart book, I forgot the name, People's Republic Walmart, is uh, whether or not the the data and the information and the institutional knowledge that they have right now is the same type of institutional knowledge that we're like uh, we're familiar with, or is institutional knowledge that we can even gain access to? Because especially with the way that um, these like these large ML companies are functioning these days, you'll have like a data lake that has been completely commodified. So they've got a a, a nice thing out back that they can go to and say like, hey. What are the relations with our customers with this new product? And all of a sudden, Data Lake just produces something that they can run with, not just informing them, but allowing them to create a whole new relation between a person and a product. And I'm just wondering, like, uh, with the with the comparison to Chile, uh, like Stafford was more or less handed the keys to the economy and was and had like a huge wellspring of support to do what he did. Um, for us, we we have, if anything, we have uh, just the uh, the spite of the systems that we're trying to change available to us and little else and especially with the commodification and uh capitalication i don't know what the word is but that I'm definitely showing my lack of education there but um like if data is capital these days like how much how much access to data do we actually have um how can we uh work with it without commodifying it the ways in which these systems above us are doing um, and how can we do all of that with all of these restrictions and contest the power that they have um, from all this institutional knowledge and data that they've got behind them? Indeed. Quite a challenge. Um, let's see. Matt, how's it going? Uh, I, 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 yeah, um, I, 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 what I was originally going to say, but I, 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 I
uh, to give an answer to, to what our comparative advantage is, is that uh, I, I think, um, you know, we're, we're not really bound by a lot of the same incentives that like a big company is. So like, a, uh, you know, like, 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 a, a you know, a, a huge enterprise, like, you know, they, they, you know they, they've got their uh, uh, did like now. Um, uh, yeah, that, you know, uh, someone probably had to fight tooth and nail to actually create. But like, uh, you know, they also, you know, they, they, they can't like um, they can't take full advantage of like process mining. Uh, they, they they can't really take full advantage of uh, uh, all all these things that uh, uh, allow us to uh, yeah th- that that could like make make a business like a lot more uh, efficient. Um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, said you know, D- D- David Graver passed way, way way too early, but I mean, like all, all all the stuff in bullshit jobs. Like I mean, we can just not do that, <laughs> especially if like uh, there's like an element of transvestment um, uh, going on. Yeah, you know, we're kind of moving um, uh, resources like into like a cooperative um, uh, 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 sphere where, you know, like we're not necessarily like governed by like the whims of a venture capitalist um, uh, uh, and uh, and also not governed by, uh, uh, um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the uh, 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 norms and absurdities and uh, 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 strictures of capitalism. Yeah, but uh, I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of advantage. Uh, uh, to be had there. Oh, and uh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, you know, it, 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 it is kind of wild how, like, uh, you know, there, there, there is kind of an answer to why you know the rich countries aren't doing this. Is that you know, we just took them a while to, to start doing it. Um, uh, you know, either directly with Walmart um, uh, and Amazon, and also, I mean, you know, they actually kind of were already doing it because I mean, like, a part of what system I mean, systems four and five like are like the superstructure, right? <laughs> like that is anyway, even like as beer uh, kind of a. Uh, um, uh, envisioned it with a lot of autonomous components, like including, uh, you know, the, 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 there's, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I do think, like, Nixon and or Kissinger, like, hit the button. But the thing is, you know, they, they built a system, you know, with, uh, you know, like, little, like, cells of Nazis that, you know, um, uh, have arms and orders and connections to, uh, uh, you know, uh, security forces uh, around the world that they, yeah, they, strictly speaking, didn't actually need to, to, to have hit the button to do the coup. You know, Colonia Dignidad was like, like this little tumor that was doing its thing and part of this you know um uh, uh you know coherent you know viable system yeah yeah gladio will act on your behalf even without needing to necessarily give the order right um uh, on the thing of like us not being bound by the same incentives i think it was i don't know if it was in our discord or if it was in the Swampside one but that little bit with like the the cops like trying to figure out how to disrupt anarchist organizing and like they found that they couldn't cut off their funding because they simply didn't have any like, these people have no fucking money anyway. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? Like, stop the checks that they're not getting from going to them? Um, and, uh, yeah, they found that basically they were stumped as to, like, how to disrupt the, like, funding supply of this operation that simply didn't have any. Like, these these people are dumpster diving all the time to, to feed themselves. They're not getting, uh, like, a funding pipeline. Um, so, yeah, like, there's some advantages to not being... There are advantages to not playing the same game as the enemy is. Um Okay, let's, uh, who's uh, Jake. Yeah, just to kind of, like, yeah, to, like, touch on that and to sort of the idea of, like, you know, why capitalist countries, why the more first world countries, whatever, like, haven't implemented this is because of, like, momentum, you know, and it's because of, like, well, this worked, so why do we change it, you know, and 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 sort of on that idea of, you know, if you've got, if all the tool, if, if you, the only tool you have is hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know, especially to like talk about the cops, like 
if all you've got is a gun, everyone looks like a criminal, you know, like everyone is a target to them. And so these sort of other methods that they have to devise, like they're having trouble figuring it out because it's like, this isn't what a normal, like they're not trying to play within the system. So how does the system handle them? But I think that also gets to the idea of like, you know, should we be trying to take over the system? I I don't think so. Like I, I we need to destroy the system and build something new or rather we need to build something new and destroy the system. You know, I think we probably need to build the thing uh, at least partially before we destroy the system. Otherwise there's nothing for people to turn to and, you know, the military takes over or whatever. Um, like whoever is the most organized. But, you know, I think that is kind of the thing and, and sort of what I see as like a potentially, potentially like, you know, way forward with this sort of VSM and stuff like or whatever organization we kind of build that encapsulates the VSM, you know, one of the beautiful things about technology and about like platforms as, as sort of the vehicle for global connection is that like, you know, if we're able to build some sort of VSM connected platform that people can opt into, you know, that's a way of like building power, you know, if it's connected to real world things, like we can build power that way. And, you know, all the workers sign up for the, you know, beer system uh, app, whatever. And then they're connected to the global system four and five. And then, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is very bong rip stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that, that that's kind of the way forward. I, you know, I certainly would love to see people in DSA build that. I don't, I'm not sure if that if it can be done in that way, like just because of that whole systemic inertia kind of thing that was already around before, like Sanders and everything, and is still around in DSA. I mean, from what I can tell, I'm sort of outside looking in. Um, I'm like, I, that's why I'm in like the Marxist center and not DSA. Um, just cause like there's less historical baggage and therefore like less of these people who have these little fiefdoms from which they can control things and don't like, you know, maybe that's my own personal uh, experience with like the Philly DSA is pretty bad, uh, pretty like class reductionist and very top down, you know. Um, so, so maybe that's also like influencing my my opinion on the national situation. But you know, I think where there's no, and I and I also like want to be cautious of not being like, well, the trick is just to split and form our own party. You know, it's like not that kind of thing. But there is maybe some kind of that in there, which I'm hopefully not. Hopefully that's not my main impetus for it, but um, but I do think there is like where there is space to create new structures, we should take that, you know, whether that's in DSA or not. But for me personally, there's more space in Marxist Center to build it, so that's where I'm doing it. But I think you know <laughs> the beauty of uh, I think VSM sort of influenced organizing is this idea of not like modularity but like a little bit of that where it's like pieces can kind of fit together in a way and you know if these systems can be built in dsa and or elsewhere but replicated in dsa or replicated elsewhere you know they could conceivably fit together in some sort of meta structure you know um just another system one into this into the uh vsm you know or like or whatever but i i think i think um you know, the technology is there now to do this sort of stuff in a way that was not like, like you're talking about the 
and when Beard talks about like what the situation was in Chile, it's like it's an it's it is clearly not a technological like limitation that is holding us back, but the technology being so much further than it is than it was now what than it was then now is like I feel like it opens up the the way forward a little bit easier. You know, it's like yeah, I mean and and if we and if we can seize Amazon and just take AWS, I mean what does that what does that do for the uh the global uh proletarian system five? Indeed. I love this notion of union.app or whatever. You just double click on it and it does the thing. Um on the, the modularity and the recursive I think there's there's something very important there that like um one I think for me one of the big values of the VSM is that it's uh because it's a recursive structure, you've kind of already got the answer at each layer. So you don't you don't have to like figure out, oh, how should we organize a um a chapter or a local branch or whatever. And then like, oh, but then how should we organize a cluster of these things? Because the answer is already there. You organize it the same fucking way you did the first one. And it's like, oh, but how are we going to organize a national structure? It's same answer. Like, it's, you already have the blueprint for the general structure of these things. And we, it means that these things should no longer be novel problems after a while. Um, so like, I mean, we've, we've had, uh, I think a lot of very good comments that like, it's, we shouldn't be too focused on like theory up front. You have to like learn all this stuff in practice. But I think, as the ball gets rolling, one of the valuable things here is that like you can kind of hand people a briefcase with all the stuff they're going to need, like a toolkit, like a, a doctor's bag. And it's like, I assure you that everything you're going to need is inside this bag. Um, and it's like, here, look, read these 50 pages. And they describe like basically step-by-step -step list, the lists of how to do things. Because um, that's how things become contagious. And that's how uh social processes scale right like um you you know like the, the the door handle is always on the right hand side of the door or whatever or like you know you always drive on the right hand side of the road or whichever side you drive on in your country but like there's always the same answer to the same question and it means that you don't have to then have every little microsect figuring out its own uh structure and its own kind of stuff because you you get to a point where there's just a sensible standard answer to this kind of stuff um, or a sort of near standard answer for a lot of the, the, the generalities and the skeleton of the thing, which would mean that a lot less time would be wasted on figuring out stuff. Um, so I think hopefully in, as practice proves out the theory, you would end up with just like, here's, these are the standard procedures. This is the, uh, this is the manual for how to do this stuff. Um, and you'd get to a point where people can just kind of take it on faith. And it's like, okay, we, we have a new venture that needs to happen. Like we need to go and organize tenants in this district or whatever. This is, this is, this is what the manual says. And we just go and do it and it glowing success. Hooray. On to the next fucking thing. Um, the details of this stuff should recede into the background and it just becomes background radiation. It's just infrastructure in the same way that like driving on a certain side of the road. It, it doesn't rise to your attention very often in daily life. It's when you get it wrong, it, it rises to your attention. When you find yourself on the wrong side of the road suddenly, then you're like, wow, holy shit, there's, there's a correct side of the road to drive on. But because, it, it, because it's such a common piece of infrastructure for your life, it's unremarkable. It just kind of melts, the, the rules of the road melt into the background. Um, because they're not really the point. It's, it's getting around the place is the real point. Um, I hope this 
whatever comes of this research um, gets to a similar similar place. I hope I hope nobody remembers it ultimately in the long run, like because it just becomes unremarkable social infrastructure. Uh, let's 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 hear from Kyle and let's maybe think about wrapping up then. Yeah, uh, I mean that just brought to mind the point in chapter sixteen where Beer talks about how the people who were working on the Cybersyn project had, you know, the right background knowledge to just fucking do it, you know, to actually like hit the ground running and work on it. Um, and I think there's a lot of value there because yeah, like they're working under extreme time constraints and resource constraints, but they did have like a common language which was partially Beer's work and partially just general cybernetics understanding. Uh, and so, you know, that's probably the thing that we need to foster. And building the right tools, like, or rather, like, you know, as you said, building the right toolkit, because... If you have a common conceptual language and you have a common toolkit, you can get a lot done if you have a purpose in mind and uh, the right people. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of value in taking that approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can even look to, to labor stuff, right? The the trades, uh, construction stuff. Like once you've got somebody that's gone through their apprenticeship and is is decent at what they do on the job. You can just dump them on a site and be like, "Hey, make a wall," and they just make the fucking wall because, like, uh, there's never a question of like, "Oh, which kind of hammer should we use?" There's only one kind to use for this task. Just get the fuck on with it. Like, you, you don't find construction workers just fiddling around with bullshit and kind of discussing the way to screw a, a screw into a wall or whatever. Or what 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 kind of dowels do we use in this in this type of masonry? There's only fucking one, or maybe there's two, and it's like there's this situational thing that you have to like, well, if it's going to be, if the wall's going to get wet, you have to use this, this, uh, this dowel or whatever, or this, um, insert. But like, you've gone through your training, like, you know, your stuff, you hit the fucking ground and you get shown like, Oh, what's the plan for the building? Fine. Okay, great. Where's the material? There it is. Let's get to work. Let's get it fucking done. Um, I would love to see organizational literacy in general, rise quite a bit higher amongst socialists so that we could get towards that sort of thing where you don't there's there'd be so much we wouldn't need to talk about at that point um we would just be able to crack on with with getting things done um like every, every new situation we go into like every new effort at organizing a workplace or every new effort at organizing tenants in a building or organizing some district of the city it, they shouldn't be entirely novel encounters like there, sh there should be so much shared knowledge and shared infrastructure um and so much stuff that just you don't need to keep asking the questions over and over again there's there's a handful of techniques you pick them off a menu and you just just go for it um yeah organizational literacy i think is the main thing to go for as a, as the, the basics for this stuff um because like i think pitching uh pitching the vsm in its entirety is, uh, and and all of its uh, gnarly details is maybe a bit much but, you know, telling people about feedback, you know, and like learning, <laughs> those are pretty basic concepts. We can, or like home homeostasis, you know, like, oh, what if, what if there was an organizational dynamic that stabilized things? You know, basic nuts and bolts stuff, I think would be very valuable to us. Um, 
let's hear from Boast and then let's wrap up. It, sorry, but a bit talkative this one. I I really like these types of conversations. Um, but kind of to your last your last point, I think that it'd be incredibly valuable if I could hand someone something. And I think this is a this is what pamphlets did in the past, where like I hand someone a pamphlet and they could just be like, oh wow, here's a PDF's worth of information, but everything I need to know to engage with an organization. Um, I think having something like that would be incredibly valuable. But what I think would add to that value is having the depth there because like the context can actually ruin someone's ability to really process information if it's too heavy handed or if it's not properly presented. So having like a door there where someone could kind of slip to a lower layer of context or like kind of beg the question, like, well, what's next? What's more? Why did you say that? While someone that, you know, doesn't need that additional context can just kind of smoothly go over it, just reach to the end and, you know, kind of process the whole as opposed to getting and numbering and naming each individual part. I think this has been a very fruitful discussion. Um, is yeah, and I think I think to just maybe re- reiterate the general point, yeah, like this, 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 this has been extremely, extremely fruitful reading this book. Um, but given that we've we finished the main book, really, uh, we're on to the the dessert at the end. Um, I think I'm yeah in agreement with Jeremy that like this is going to have to be. Um, it's not so much that we need to go back to Brain of the Firm and drag it into the present. We need to reconstruct something like it in the present. We need to start from where we are today and import the stuff we want um, and reconstitute it and take take the lessons from this stuff rather than uh, kind of slavishly recreating it. Um, but yeah, Jeremy. So I, I read uh, the great, great book, uh, Storming Heaven, which was a history of Italian autonomous Marxism. And... One of the things the author points out is that way before autonomism was formulated, um, some of the people who became autonomists worked on a project of just doing a very, very thorough class analysis of post-war Italy and taking inventory about the reality of their times. And did a very, very thorough study of their present reality. And then from there, formulated autonomism as the way to do Marxism in their time with their people, with their circumstances. And I've noticed in Marxism, there's a bunch of examples of this. I mean, Lenin first started out with a massive tome about capitalism in Russia before he ever wrote anything about political theory. You know, um, this this idea that, you know, let's figure out what the world needs now and then start working on that just seems like an approach that has worked in the past, you know? Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Um, fabulous. Um uh, but let's get a little tiny bit from Matt, and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, the thing that uh, uh, um, uh, with uh, what, what, what Jeremy said about the uh, uh, the, the quick sketches of uh, uh, the class compositions of uh, uh, Russia and Italy uh, having kind of been the first step. I mean, uh, yeah. What one thing that I think is is maybe like a, a good application is actually um, uh, um, you know applying the VSM to the various classes. Like uh, again, yeah, because uh, especially like uh, the the, the um, you know. The, 
class is something that like I think is just begging to be formalized. And like even like 18th Brumaire, I feel like he's almost there. Like he almost says it. Like uh, especially like uh, uh, as much as like um uh, uh just measuring um like class you know, uh, uh, me- 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 measuring like uh, um how often you come into contact with the same people who are in your circumstances. Like uh, you know how the French peasants weren't, and so they didn't have class consciousness. Uh, well, you know industrial workers do, and so and yeah, like like that is you, you, like it's just it's just almost there. And I feel like you could you like you really could do that with uh, um uh, classes. You know like uh, uh, are you know uh, uh, is there a uh, um you know you can say the capitalist class does in fact have a way to it does have a system five it does have a system four um uh, on the United States. Well you know uh, and you know, um probably um certain, you know professional sectors uh, arguably do you know professional um uh, um uh. uh uh, 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 organizations and conferences and stuff probably uh, serve that role. And uh, yeah, I think you could use the VSM to actually, um, you know, be part of a yeah, an over. You know, I think we should overall formalize class and stuff, including stuff that maybe doesn't necessarily um, fit within the VSM framework. But also, you know, like see how well a class can uh, um, uh, behave coherently in you know as a as a viable system. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that would probably be more fruitful than trying to. Think of just like capitalism with a big C as as a viable system, because um, I think I think there's, there'd probably be there'd be a problem to just taking some identified object as a as like a full object in itself. I think it'd be more useful to think of these classes as as these systems and so on, um, and to maybe challenge our ways of breaking this stuff down. But um, yeah, this has been a fabulous session, people. Um, next time we'll be starting section four. Uh, and chapter 16, um, uh, they're fairly, fairly light, fairly short, but, um, getting into the, um, historical account of what happened in Chile, um, from, from Beer's perspective. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone. We'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye. Thanks everybody. Later y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.